Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. What's up, guys? Welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. Um, I'm tired today, you know? Yeah? I'm going to let you know. Yeah, well, right up front. You should watch one of your videos on the importance of sleep. I should. I really should. So here's what's happened this week. Um, I can actually talk about things now. For those of you who don't know, there is a channel called Crash Course that I love. It's, oh, you can talk about this. I can talk about it because John Green actually announced it at VidCon. Cool. So there's a channel called Crash Course. If you're not subscribed to Crash Course, you definitely should be because they make some of the best educational videos on the internet, bar none. They do like full classes, pretty much literature, anatomy, physiology, uh, physics, world history, all those kind of things. And I have wanted to do a Crash Course for years. And August 8th, that dream is coming true because there is going to be a Crash Course study skills with yours truly as the host. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Was that on your impossible list? Because if it not, you should is, sneak it on there real it fast. It is so on my impossible list. Okay. So August 8th, I'll be crossing it cool. off and being able to link to that first video. Nice. I think there might be a teaser that goes live before the 8th. So maybe I can link to it before then. Okay. But that does have to do with my current amount of tiredness because I just got back on Wednesday afternoon from Missoula from filming. Yes. And had to work for the next like two days straight on a video. Naturally. So I woke up at 5 a.m., this morning. And you know what? That reminds me. You know how we were working on a morning routine video? Yes. So, and I still want to do that. Anybody, I'm sure people who are watching this oh, are yeah, waiting yeah. The one for that, it. The one that's still not, yeah. The one that we haven't done yet. But I kind of have been thinking, like, we should add something into that, maybe at the end, where it's like, this is usually my morning routine. That's Because true. let's not have any delusions here. I'm not perfect. And sometimes I wake up at 5 a.m. and I edit a video until 10 a.m. because I couldn't finish it the night before. Yeah. Well, even Such that, is that life. Ben Franklin thing, right? He was like, yeah, I was surprised at how much I messed up this schedule. Exactly. Even yeah. Benny Frank. And I think when, a lot of, maybe they don't purposely try to put it out like this. I'm sure some of them do. But I think there's this perception like internet gurus just perfectly adhere to their routines and they just always do the things they say they do. That's because they're ultra-wise gurus. Eh, maybe I'm just not an ultra-wise guru. Yeah, maybe you should see a guru about that. I should see a guru about that. Yes. There we go. That's the that's the only solution. They'll give me 10 tips you've never heard before that will surprise you about how to stick to your morning routine forever. Actually, I could do that. I have done that video. I just didn't name it that. <laughs> we did do the how to make a morning guru routine Guru in training over yeah. here. But, you know, I just, I like to be transparent like that. When you're an entrepreneur, you don't always have a perfect schedule. You try. Uh, oh, yeah. And I learned just as much doing the procrastination equation episode as, like, anyone who listened to it might have because I've been, like, applying lessons from that ever yeah. since I read it. It's it's helping me. I think it was good that we did that episode. Yeah. It was kind of like a, I really want to do this on the channel at some point. Let's do a podcast episode on it. And then I feel like you got way more out of it than I was even expecting. Yeah. yeah. Some, sometimes going and reading these things and researching them, Helps me see things from the angle I want. So that's that's pretty great. Yeah. <sighs> so today, we're doing a bit of a casual episode. Yeah. Just going to say it up Filthy front. casual. This, we are filthy, uh, filthy casuals today. 
I am okay with that. That's fine. I feel like my hardcore episode quota has been filled for the at least for the week because last week uh, we, we did can, we can that be investing episode. I put hours of research into that. And, we did the procrastination uh, equation episode. So I want to talk about fiction books today. Yeah, and you know that's actually great because as we record this, and of course Ashley told me this ten years ago today. Harry Potter 7 came out. Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. Today's the 10th anniversary. Yeah. Which means that 10 years ago today, I stayed up all night in an eight-hour marathon reading that book all in one go. And it was wonderful. Or we're dying. So, yeah, yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> we're thinking about fiction books. So it's just, it's pretty fitting. You don't want to do an existentialist that, crisis no, I don't, podcast I don't, episode? I don't want to have a crisis on the podcast. Fine. Help me. We'll do that. <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. That's true. But, yeah, it's just ironic or coincidental. That, yeah. The 10th anniversary of one of my favorite fiction books. That's and I won't sweet. be talking about that in this episode. Everybody knows about Harry Potter. There's no reason for me to go into that. People are going to roast me for this, but I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's something really got to me a second ago. <laughs> I grew up in one of those families that, like, banned Harry Potter and I think my parents came around to it when I was later in my teens, but I, I got through the fourth book and was like halfway through the fifth when I got caught reading oh. them. And my parents were like, no. And I was too much of a goody two-shoes to like sneak off and finish them. Oh, honey, you so, poor, poor child. Yeah. Someday I'll finish them. I, did, I definitely intend to. The last to. one's my favorite. So you like didn't, you certainly didn't even make it to my favorite part. I know. See, so right now I want to finish the Mistborn series, and I've got one book left to do there. And then... Uh, there's these Neil Stevenson books I haven't read yet, and they've just been like oh, on that shelf. Yeah, you don't need to like long time. read it next or anything. But I do have but it. They are good. Yeah, they are. I good. do have it, so I and will get to it. Maybe I'll buy the audiobooks and just buy the bullet at some point and like yeah, listen maybe. to them on a plane. Um, so the way I thought we would do this episode is we we're going to talk about some of our favorite fiction books. Yeah, and people ask us about this all the time, but I didn't want to spoil any plot points. No. So that would be a bad episode. Yeah. Uh, I did not necessarily pick my favorite books. Like one of the one of the books on this list is my favorite of all time. Okay. But I didn't necessarily go, all right, what's my top five? I'm picking that. Because I've got stuff in my top five or top ten that I love, but it's like, what would I talk about in a podcast episode that isn't the plot? Yeah. So I more want to talk about like why do we read the certain fiction we read and maybe we can talk about like what we've gotten out of specific books. Yeah. Cool things that have come of reading those. Yeah. Things like that. And this is a really important episode, I think, because we do a ton on nonfiction. We talk about tons of nonfiction books all the time and productivity and all this stuff. You gotta, you gotta work, 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 work. I don't know how many times Rihanna or whoever says that in the song, but <laughs> I think it is Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I'm, I'm not hip anymore, Tom. It's been 10 years since Harry Potter. I, I don't want to have a crisis right now. But we talk about all this stuff, and I just don't want anybody to get the impression that if they love reading and they just read fiction, that that's, like, stupid or oh, a waste yeah. of their time or anything. Because fiction can be, one, objectively useful, but also it's, you know, being happy and having fun is yeah. pretty important. So even not for the productive parts of fiction... It is worth doing. Well, I get comments from people asking, is playing video games a waste of time? And I'm like, no. Do you like it? Uh, one could argue anything to be a waste of time. Yeah. So, like, in, enjoy yourself just if you think you're enjoying yourself so much that it's hurting something else. Maybe then 
you're, you yeah. need to tone it down. But if you're just enjoying it and it's not hurting anything, why would it be a waste of time? You run the risk of getting into, like, the the importance one-upmanship that I see sometimes. Like, I remember um, on that Bad Habits video that we just put out last week, somebody commented, they're just like, they were, they were laughing at how my bad habit or my addiction was drinking energy drinks. And they're like, there's so many people out there with worse habits and worse addictions. And I'm like, I never said there was well, yeah. I never said that drinking energy drinks is, you know, just as bad as being addicted to cocaine or something. It's obviously not, but you shouldn't trivialize people's problems. And on the same side of that or different side, same coin, you shouldn't trivialize the things people find to be important just because there's maybe like something else a little more objectively important out there. Well, there's always going to be some situation that's more serious. And actually, I didn't even think about that I was going to have to mention this, but this reminds me of a quote from a nonfiction book I read uh, from Man's (laughs) Search for Meaning, the guy who lived, he was like a psychologist who lived through the internment camps in Germany during World War II. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that he said in that book that I thought was really, like, powerful was, and I'm paraphrasing, but that a man's pain, it functions like like a gas and that it will fill its container no matter how much of it there is. Mm. So if the only suffering you've ever known is a hangnail, you're going to obsess over that hangnail because it's the only thing you've ever, like, that's everything to you. That's huge suffering. So no matter what it is, it's your problem and it's important to you. That does make sense because I remember I I was like, I've been thinking about this since I was a kid. Every time, like, society makes some huge improvement, like we cure... Uh, polio or yeah. you know, we discover penicillin or even in your personal life you like I get over my acne or you get a girlfriend you're not lonely anymore like yeah. obviously you are happier in general but there's never like an end to the problems no because so, you just find another small one that exactly. wasn't fixed yeah. and you're like well I gotta fix that that's the one yeah and I don't I don't think you could construe it as like oh we have like a fixed capacity for pain and that and hence like a fixed level of happiness and you'll always be that level no matter how good things get because I do honestly believe you can become happier. Well, yeah. But to your point about it all being relative in terms of pain. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And so if people want to play video games as a break, again, as long as it's not like interfering with your goals, yeah, absolutely. I play tons yeah. of video games. Who I cares? just bought Splatoon 2. if somebody else thinks that's a good idea? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to play Splatoon 2. I'm going to play great. it all night tonight. <laughs> That's my plan. I mean, I might go to bed early so I can get up and hike or something, but that's my plan for tonight. Just play that game. And um, on the same token, fiction is great. Yeah. From a fun perspective, but also just from like a learning perspective. Yeah. Um, I brought like three out of my five are physical and each of these three and then the other two that are not physical have done something to enrich my life beyond just the fun act of reading it. Yeah. And I just realized there's a red stain on this one. Is that blood? What? <laughs> you think that's blood? <laughs> it might be. I don't know. Uh, Could just be red ink. Well, now that we've got a murder mystery on our hands. Ooh, but, this podcast just yeah, took like, a turn. You, you get things from these, and fiction can be useful. You can you can live vicariously through your characters, Yeah, which is, I, I love that. You can picture every scene through your own eyes if you want, if you identify with a character mm-hmm. and get inspired. You can learn to empathize with people who have done different things from you. Yeah. And it's also a way to sort of escapism, but escapism isn't always bad because if you can temporarily no. escape a problem, give your brain a break from the stress, you can come back with the inspiration or solutions to examples in maybe a book that applies to your life. Like fiction mm-hmm. is not pointless. 
And there was this great Buffer article, actually, that I'll link to in the show notes about some of the benefits of fiction. And I can't remember what it was, but it might be that they have a company policy where you can just, like, read as many books as you want or something something cool like that. I think Buffer does have, like, an unlimited Kindle, like, credit card that you can just buy as many books as you want. And the the article's great, and it goes into a lot of the sort of productive benefits that you get from fiction. And I think that's, that's important if you feel the need to justify it. But just having fun and sort of that's it. If you make yourself hate reading because you've read nothing but nonfiction because we mention it and you've read nothing but class assignments mm-hmm. and now you hate reading, then those books have done you a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing with fiction, and I see people put this in the comments on my videos sometimes. They're just like, I just can't get into it. Yeah. And I also have that problem, but I find that if I just kind of muscle through the first chapter or two, that's when it really does become like escapism for me and I get really into it well, depending on the book it's like meditation a little bit for me mm-hmm. because if I try to set a meditation timer for like five minutes I'm just getting into it right as that thing goes off okay yeah whereas the first few minutes are the adjustment I feel like the same thing can be applied to this because reading reading is something you can do very mindfully very present mindedly and it's a, it's a single tasking kind of thing you have to shut out the world beyond you. It's an exercise in deep focus. Yeah. When I'm watching a movie, I might, oh, look, I'll check my notifications. Stuff's going on. The movie still plays. I can still kind of hear it. I'm kind of paying attention. Mm-hmm. I can come back in a few moments. But the book will not go without my effort and without my attention. I yeah. force the book forward myself. So I like video games in that way. Yeah, it's, it's very active. It's mm-hmm. an active form of media. So you have to focus really well to do it. Yeah. And that's, Do you remember what the productive benefits that they listed were? Well, okay, I've got, I've got a few of them. I got a few because I'm thinking like the big thing for me, and I'm going to highlight this in a few of these examples, is reading fiction has sparked my interest in very productive topics in a way that nonfiction hasn't been able to do. Mm-hmm. I just think like when when something is contextualized or wrapped in a story, it's like an interest link. Which yeah. I've talked about before. Like, I play Civilization Five, and that's like, oh, now I'm kind of interested in world like history because I'm playing Civ Five. Same thing with a book. It's like, oh, this book is about, you know, this really cool story, but one of the plot points is about something that actually gets me interested to go out and learn more in real life. Yeah, and I don't remember where this was because I've been reading a lot of stuff, but I, I read something that was saying a lot of the Silicon Valley sort of people read science fiction growing yeah. up, so that, that inspires sense. them to change the future mm-hmm. and stuff to that effect. But so one fiction, and I've heard this a lot, it it helps you build empathy, like I was saying, because you can live through another person's shoes. You literally, unlike in a movie, you're watching a movie and you can get this from movies, but it's not quite the same because you see the character. Yeah. That character is not you. They're that character right over there experiencing the scene. Yeah. It's an external entity. It's right there. Whereas in a book, the whole universe and therefore every character and every character's thoughts and monologues in their head and problems are also yours in a way. And yeah. the Buffer article links to – or they mentioned some research that said that basically when you're reading a book, your brain will sort of simulate what's going on in it. Interesting. Almost like you were actually experiencing a lot of these things. Yeah. So like tastes and sounds and smells and feelings, like you you feel them. Mm-hmm. You ever have time when like, because I mean, obviously you read books for a long period of time. It's not like a movie where it's two, yeah, yeah. It's like two hours. So do you ever have times where you're like 
man, I'm really worried right now, but I don't know why. And then you realize it's not actually any problem in your life. It's the book you're reading. Yeah. If, if like I stop <laughs> at a particularly upsetting part, I might be real stressed out yep. for a little bit <laughs> because I feel like I just had whatever just happened in the book happen to me. Yeah. I feel it like the characters. Yep. And so you can build empathy this way. So if you want to like become more open-minded or something, read a bunch of books with characters that are nothing like you, that have experiences you've never experienced, mm-hmm. and you can kind of empathize a little more. Yeah. And so another thing is that it's really good at relaxing us, really good. It disengages us from the real world, which nonfiction is the opposite of that. Yep. It keeps us planning ahead. <laughs> But they also they have some research that said... Well, I will disagree with that in one way. What way? I don't think it's a divide between fiction and nonfiction when it comes to disengaging from the real world or being more wrapped up in it. It is a oh, narrative. I see where you're going. Yeah. Because I'm thinking... That's like, fair. I read, um, what is it called? The Cuckoo's Egg, which is about Clifford, Clifford Stoll and the hacker at Stanford and everything back in the 90s. And that is like straight up yeah. nonfiction, but it's a story and it reads like a spy yeah. novel. They make it narrative. That's that's fair. That's absolutely right. I will. So it's it's storytelling re- adjust versus, versus like self-help or topical education. Yeah, if I'm reading books. the procrastination equation, I'm thinking, yeah. how do I apply this to my life? But if it's a narrative, if it's a story, I'm experiencing somebody else's situations, mm-hmm. I can get lost in it. And they had something, they had a really cool infographic that I'll, I'll try to... It's in the post. I'll link to it. Okay. But they found research that showed participants' heart rates slowing down with muscle tension easing by as much as 68% within six minutes really? of, of reading. And they had this chart, and I can't remember what was on it, but it was like 600% more than video games, 100% more than drinking a cup of tea. Like a That's lot of comparisons yeah. where reading just, just does this. And my favorite author, Kurt Vonnegut, Actually, he used to read short stories, and he referred to reading short stories as a, a Buddhist catnap because he was saying when meditation and Zen was becoming a fad mm-hmm. over it, like it came to the Western world. Like he, Alan Watts and all that. Yeah, and he was saying, we already have our Western way of detaching from the real world, and it's reading short stories. It's what I okay. need to detach from the world, become present-minded, focus on a single task. So he called reading short stories Buddhist catnaps. And I like, like that. It's a form of it's yeah. a short form of meditation. It's okay. You get really into it, and you, if you're into the story, you completely disconnect from your real problems. Yeah, and that is it's good for your heart and your muscles and your brain. You can't be stressed all the time, so that's a real benefit, just like meditation. Well, I really like that because as a productivity person, I feel like I am supposed to be a meditator. But I hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You could. I hate meditation yeah, just so do, much. Just do other stuff mindfully. You cook mindfully, play an I instrument do that. mindfully. Yep. And reading fiction is just a really fantastic way to do that as mm-hmm. well. Um, so also, this one's obvious. You can build vocabulary reading. That Absolutely. Yep. Very much one of the best ways to build vocabulary. My Spanish tutor has actually been telling me to read more Spanish fiction. Because okay. if I see the same word, like I read Story of a Shipwrecked Sailor in Spanish mm-hmm. about this guy in a shipwreck, blah, 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 blah. He's stuck on the ocean for like seven days or something. And it's a true story. But I learned a bunch of words about the ocean. Yeah. And like about uh, starboard and port. I don't remember them at the moment, but I, I did forget. learn them throughout the book. I want to say starboard's right if you're looking towards yeah. the... Um, yeah, I think so. What's, what, what is the head of the ship called? I don't know. Man, we, our sea legs are very shaky. Yeah. Uh, Keep going. I must but, Google this. 
Yeah, I kept <laughs> learning new vocabulary through that in foreign language, but it works in English or your native tongue as well. Because when you see the same word several times and you're reading a book, you you don't need to really stop and check a dictionary every three seconds because if you keep seeing it in different situations, you'll probably put together a pretty good estimate yeah. of what it is. And you'll remember it better seeing it in real situations than you will, say, from a flashcard. Yeah, that makes sense. At least unless you're using like you're spaced repetition context. or something. Yeah, but, but you get context built into the story. Yeah. Which is a big benefit. Yeah. It's a very natural spaced repetition. Yeah. It just comes at whatever pace the story needs the word, and that's yeah. the pace at which you need to remember it. So so quick can... fact check update. Oh, yeah. Here we go. If you're looking towards the bow of the ship, which is the front, okay. then yes, uh, port would be left and right would okay. be starboard. Okay. And then I think the back is the keel? I don't know. I don't know. I can't look up all know. these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh, the other thing I was going to say is when you read fiction or narrative nonfiction, you get um, conversational vocabulary. Yes. Which is different and often more diverse than the kind of vocabulary you're going to get when you're reading through a topical educational nonfiction book. You get yeah. new vocabulary as people are saying it. Even though it's not real dialogue that's actually happened in the real world, it is still dialogue. So you it is a way this. that you would actually speak and instead of it just being like, like, you know people who speak like they're reading a nonfiction book. It's not very engaging. No. But no, if you speak... You get more yeah. realistic examples from, from that. But you can even get literary words that you would use in speech, but that are also a little fancy just to spice things up. Yeah. Because in a regular conversation, you may not hear those words either. So from both angles, fiction and narrative nonfiction can help you sort of spice up your vocabulary in ways you can actually use. Mm -hmm. Rather than if I go around talking about a bunch of sciencey words from stuff to the wrong audience, it's not going to work. Yeah. I can speak to people who love that topic with those words, but that vocabulary doesn't work for normal conversation. Yeah, exactly. So the only other things I got down here for uh, the – basically, I already mentioned it's an exercise in focus. It's basically a sort of meditation. But, yeah, I guess the last thing is just happiness, which is very much a productive benefit yeah. because if you're, if <laughs> you're really cool? sad all the time, you what's the point of all the productivity? Yep. If you're not, if it's not making you happy and fulfilled in some way, mm -hmm. there wasn't a reason to try that hard then. Yeah. You're, you you got to be doing it for something. So that's that. I'm going to link to the article. It's really good. And yeah, let's talk about cool. Let's our talk about our books. Fiction books. I'll let you go first, Tom. All right. Uh, so I have two that are not um, physical. That's fine. Got We've got just physical. audio listeners. They're not missing out. I'm going to start with one that isn't physical because I think the coolest story comes from one that isn't physical. Okay. So the only Neil Gaiman or Gaiman, I don't remember how to pronounce his last I name. I don't know. The only Neil Gaiman book that I've ever read is American Gods. And I don't know why I read it. I think I just saw it at the store once and I was like, I've heard of that book before. I guess I should read it. And I've, I've actually heard they're making a uh, TV show of it now. So I was watching some episodes over at Clyde's, actually. Oh, were you? It's pretty cool. Is it good? Yeah, it seemed pretty cool. It made me okay. want to read the book. Well, the book's pretty good. And I remember thinking, like, the book itself, the story, the whole, like, narrative wasn't my favorite. It was good, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, that's up there cemented in my top ten or whatever. Yeah. But that is the only book that has uh, – the only fiction book that has made me travel before Really? Yes. Where'd you go? So in the book, and I don't want to spoil too much of the plot, but there's a there's a place that they go called House on the Rock. And it's like this 
roadside attraction place in Wisconsin. It's I remember you going there. Crazy, ridiculous, almost like a museum, but it's like the most weird, creepy, odd museum. I've. It's the weirdest place I've ever been, ever. Bar none. Um, so I was reading the book, and I was at Camp Nerd Fitness while I was reading it, and I came across this part in the book, and they went to it, and it was describing all the crazy stuff inside of it, like this giant carousel with like crazy dolls and mermaid statues on it and stuff. And I was like, does this place really exist because it seems too weird to exist, but he's saying it's in Wisconsin. So I Google it, and yes, it exists. Is this one of those a builder went insane and started putting stairs to nowhere kind of situation? That happened in San Francisco. There is a house like that. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think what happened in San Francisco is that lady believed that she would die if she stopped building. You know what? Builders just aren't crazy enough anymore because where are all the cool eccentric buildings being built right now i want some now i think they're adding on to house in the rock oh good continuously so there's one good um the thing with house in the rock is i don't think he was like insane he was just a really eccentric guy and he built he built like the core house and he builds it as wrong as possible they call it the frank lloyd wrong house actually um and then he just started adding more buildings and collecting various random things from around the world and there are rooms in there with entire orchestras of instruments that have been like <laughs> wired up with machinery to play themselves. That's cool. It is. It's crazy. And uh, so I, yeah, I was reading the book. I was like, is this real? It is real. And we lived in Iowa, so it was only four hours away. So Anna and I took a road trip and we went and visited it and it was insane. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I actually have an album the, of I photos. I didn't know you got that from a book. I did. It was from American Gods. Um, and, and if anyone lives like in the Midwest, I would say like, Take a trip and go see this place. The hotel in town, it looks like it's straight out of the 70s. It's super cheap. Hmm. Um, there's not much else to do in the town, but it's a worthwhile experience to have once in your life. That's cool. I would love for you to see it one day. But for anyone else who's well, like far away. never going to go to Wisconsin, I do have a uh, album on my Facebook that we can link to. I just took a lot of pictures of it. Cool. I'm just remembering now there's a, there's a giant whale in it, like a whale statue. Okay, I it's thought so like a big. real whale carcass. No, no, it's not like, a real whale carcass. Is it, is it been like, what's that word? Taxidermied whale? That'd be ridiculous. No, there's probably taxidermy in there. I can't remember. But there's definitely a huge whale statue, and like one of the teeth is as tall as me. It's nuts how big it is. I do want to see this place now. That yeah. is weird. It's it's really cool. And he's got like a whole armory full of like weapons from all kinds of eras of history and countries. Pretty sure I'll be haunted forever if I go. But You might be. I'm possibly haunted forever. That's fine. But yeah, so that's, I mean, nothing else really special came out of that book. I enjoyed reading it, but no other book has made me go like spontaneously. I'm going to take a road trip and go see a place that I read about in a fiction book. Yeah. And it's just one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had huh. from that. Yeah, that's cool. I and didn't it's kinda, know that's why you went there. It's kind of cool like saying like, oh, I went to a place not because I read about it on TripAdvisor or somebody said, like, oh, it's top 10 vacation destinations. It's like, no, I read about it in a story. Yeah. So it was cool. That's cool. Yeah. What's your first one? All right, my first this, one. Uh, my first one, and I did mention it once in an episode way back in, like, episode 90-something. So, like, 70 episodes ago almost. That was before the YouTube channel. Existed. Yeah, way before. So my first book is The Sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut, my favorite author. Is so, that still your favorite book? Yes. I have a contender for a new favorite book, but I've reread The Sirens of Titan two or three times. Okay. And I'm not willing to dethrone it until I've read the other books that many times and still love it just as much. Gotcha. It's got to have, like, replay value. I so, don't really do that. 
Ever? The only books I've read repeatedly have been audiobooks. Interesting. I've listened to um, one of the books that's going to be on this list, so I won't spoil it, dozens of times. And I've listened to Ender's Game dozens of times because I had the audiobook <laughs> version, but I never read books twice. I've reread every time a new Harry Potter book came out. Like, if the second one came out, I'd reread the first one right before the second one. Third one, reread the first two. I would, like, hmm. cascade all of them and reread all six before the seventh came out. Huh. I just, yeah. I like to read, though. I read hundreds and hundreds of books as a kid, so I guess yeah. it's not that surprising. But, so The Sirens of Titan. And ostensibly, it's about, like, a war between Earth and, like, Mars or something. But it's, yeah. it's a lot more than that, but I can't really say a lot more without giving away a lot of the important points of the plot. Mm-hmm. But what makes this book important to me is that when I read it, I was 19 or 20 or something, a Q existential crisis <laughs> when I read it. And this book made me sort of question morals in general. Mm. Like my values and morals and thoughts and everything that I had been that I had been raised with, that I already had, anyone else's. I'm more understanding of moral viewpoints that I don't understand. It made me really stop and I'm just I think more. So if somebody were to tell me, Martin, I know you think you're open minded on topic A, but here's a position that you didn't consider at all. And I'm way more open now to say that's a good point. And I, I just, this book made me very open minded to different value systems and cultures and things. So it kind of like and, took down that hair trigger defensiveness a little bit. Yeah. Because you, you know how if somebody sort of says you're wrong, you you want to, you get defensive. You, you immediately fight start back. thinking, oh, no, I'm not. And no matter, no, yeah. Yeah, no matter if you're way wrong, your first instinct is to defend yourself. It's like they punched you in the face exactly, metaphorically. Yeah. You can't, but this book sort of helped me more rationally view my own values and the values of others around me. So I've just making me more rational and open-minded is a fantastic benefit. And I have appreciated this book forever since then, but it's also just a great fiction because I I have read it like three times now and Mm -hmm. I still love it. I'd be fine reading it right now. And because of it, I'm going to read every book Kurt Vonnegut has written. I'm several into that list, but you know, it, he's, it's the reason he's my favorite author. Yeah. So. I have read that book. Yeah. I would say it didn't have the same effect on me as it did for you, but it's because I read it later on and another yeah. book had a very similar effect on me, which I will talk about. Yeah. And it, uh, timing is really important for certain it books. Really they is. need to resonate with what's in your brain right now. On that note, when I was 14 or 15, I tried reading a book called Neuromancer. Yeah. By uh, William Gibson, and it's it's like one of the one of like the paragons of cyberpunk literature. It's like one of the top two or three books in that genre. You've got Do and- Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner is based off of. You've got um, Snow Crash, which was written by Neil Stevenson, and it's not this book. This is a different book. And then you've got Neuromancer. But when I was fifteen, I was like, "What is he saying? I oh, can't yeah. understand a single thing that's going on." <laughs> Uh, so I put it down and I came back now 10 years later and I'm reading it again and I'm like, okay, now I can get it. It's still kind of hard because he makes up a lot of stuff and doesn't pull any punches, but yeah, I'm like, okay, I have enough like mental structures built up to be able to like receive this and understand it. Yeah. So even if you thought you maybe hated a book, it could have just been the absolute wrong time, it's the wrong time. for yep. you to experience it. Yeah. And I mean like a lot of YA wouldn't be good for me to read now. Yeah. No, I don't want to say all because I read, um, 
girl who circumnavigated fairyland. Oh yeah, I want to read that. And that's ostensibly a YA book, but that was a fantastic book. book. And I don't understand how it's a YA book because the vocabulary in that book. It's kind of, isn't it supposed to be kind of Alice in Wonderland-y in that it's weird and eccentric and fantasy-esque? I was... Not exactly the same, Is Alice in Wonderland, like, how much of, like, a feminist novel is that? uh, I don't know. I don't really know what... I haven't read it. I've just seen the Disney cartoon. I haven't read it in a while. It's a lot of just literary nonsense and wordplay things. I would say Girl Which Who Circumnavigated Fairyland is like is it's in that vein of like a very wacky place she's going to, but she's a lot I think she has a lot more agency as a character than oh, okay. Alice did. Oh yeah, Alice is kind of just sort of cluelessly doing stuff. So th- yeah. I do want to read that book though. Yeah. At least in the Disney cartoon. I haven't read what's the actual Through the Looking Glass? Is that what there's it's called? It's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Oh, there's two. And then Through the Looking Glass That's and what right. Alice found there. I actually really like both of them, but I'm not going to talk about them today. There's going to be a lit major in the comments just like, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. Well. <laughs> That's probably true. I didn't stop to analyze those books in particular. Yeah, and I, again, I haven't read them. But the other thing I want to say about that book is I still want to try the investing strategy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's oh, in yeah. that book. So we talked about investing, I think, last episode. There's a... There is a solid investing strategy. It's so good. In the Sirens of Titan. And if you do it, you'll be so rich. I've actually had an idea. Probably don't, though. Uh, I've been. I've really wanted to do this with Andrew on Listen Money Matters. I want to have like an ongoing just check-in see segment. Just see if it works. We're just every week we make one new trade based on the formula in that book and see how it goes. Yeah. I would love to see what happens. Yeah. And I bet you, I bet you that it would maybe not do as good as the market in the index. But I bet you it would be a lot of fund managers who are trying to make smart picks based yeah. on like logic and their own. <laughs> You'll smarts. never believe this investment strategy. <laughs> it's a really dumb strategy. Banks are going to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything more you want to say about that book? No, that, that about covers it. What's cool. your book too? I will go with this one. So the second book is The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Um, no, I said Neil Stevenson's like one of the forefathers of cyberpunk. And this is his second book that matters, I would say, because I think he wrote a couple or maybe at least, maybe at least, at least one before he wrote Snow Crash called The Big U. And even he doesn't like it. It's like a, some college novel. Snow Crash is like cyberpunk history. Really good book. And then this one is also very cyberpunky as well. And I just I, I listened to the audiobook on Audible and I remember just loving like the mixture of super futuristic high-tech stuff like there's matter compilers and nanotechnology and all this stuff Uh, but also like the rich class goes back to victorian morals because with matter compilers and nanotechnology comes a lack of um inequality materially at least because Mm -hmm. everyone everyone can have like whatever it's not like everyone has everything they want because the matter that the compilers uses comes in these pipes and obviously poor people can't use as much. Yeah. But they can still kind of make whatever they need to make in the compilers. So apparently, at least according to the book, the Victorian higher class ways of living and dressing and rules and everything were in part a way to separate them from the lower classes. So in this book, like people kind of revert back to those restrictive Victorian norms in order to separate themselves. Oh, yeah, because they can't feel too special with their possessions, so they have to feel special. Yeah through something else. But what I love about this book is this book basically introduced the concept of the iPad back in 1995. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, so the the subtitle is it's called The Diamond Age, a young lady's illustrated primer. Um, it might be called primer, but the narrator calls it primer. And this is essentially like in the book, this crazy book inside the book's plot is generated, but it's like this amazing book that has it's not really AI, but it like it it is a book that is designed to teach a child everything you need to learn from like three years old to adulthood. And it's really cool because like another character in the in the book, she actually goes and like acts out parts. It like connects to and like the book connects to like these booths that people go in and they like act out parts and in the book they become a character that interacts with a child. So basically like this one woman is doing it as a job at first, but it essentially becomes like a surrogate mother for the girl reading the book throughout her entire childhood. And I just I was just like, that's really cool. And when I was reading, I was like, man, that is like the future of education when you have just this ridiculously personalized, interactive thing yeah. right here. I mean, this is obviously not nearly the same as what's described in the book, but we're getting there. And it just made me think really hard about the future of education and what we're not doing currently, what we could do with technology. Hmm. And also just a really cool cyberpunk novel. Cool. Some really weird stuff happens in it, but yeah. I that's that's fair. Yep. So that's why I wanted to talk about that one. It's my current favorite Neil Stevenson book. I have tried to read some of his other stuff, but it's, again, very difficult. Oh. And it wasn't the right time for me when I picked up um, Cryptonomicon, which was his third one. Yeah. Yeah. That one's wordy too, isn't it? Are it's they all so, basically really wordy? Yes. So basically, um, you ever heard of the Samuel Pepys letters? Um, no. I think his, his name is Samuel Pepys. He's like this guy who lived in London if in the 1600s. The he just like, he wrote all these diaries and letters about a lot of the things that happened in um, 17th century London and England. And I've heard people say, like, you should read those before you go read The Baroque Cycle, which is his trilogy of books set in that time period. So Neil Stevenson is one of those authors who just does not pull any punches. He does crazy amounts of research. And it almost feels like he writes books just so he can dump everything that he was interested in into some sort of, like, loosely strung plot, which I like. Um, Snow Crash has, like... Very educated, written novels. And so Cryptonomicon is all about cryptography, but it's also a lot of like, there's a lot of World War II tech, like technical terms in it. Hmm. So I was reading it and I was like, this is great, but every five seconds I'm stopping to look up a word and that really tears me out of the experience. Yeah. And it's hard to get these words from context because it's like military slang. Oh yeah. It's like, I have no idea. It's very specific stuff. Yeah. So esoteric. One little tip I was trying to do is I was making a list of words as I went along and then I'd go look them up later, but it was still kind of a slog. Yeah. It might always be a slog. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. So what's your second book, sir? Book number two, currently vying for favorite book slot. Okay. Is The Thousand Autumns of Jakob de Zoot by David Mitchell, author of Cloud Atlas. That's right. The Cloud Atlas guy made that book. Yes. You and I have very different books. Yes, we do. In our lists. Yes. We're, we're, we like a lot of the same productivity and rationality related things, but we, we have very different tastes and stuff. Yep. Uh, but this novel is potentially going to be my favorite book. I loved every bit of it. And it, so it takes place in late 1700s Japan. And at this time, the Japanese basically only traded with the Dutch. And this is like a historical fiction. So David Mitchell put in a ton of research and I was recommended this book by uh, Engl- an English major who was studying literature and stuff. And I was told that this is actually 
fairly good for Japanese culture at the time and history. Mm. Like a lot of it's it feels real. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite parts about this book is it follows so many characters. It follows several subplots and everything feels real. It's so real that there are parts of it where there are medical things involved and it's almost grotesquely real. And most authors would have like skimmed right over that. Mm -hmm. But this book feels like a real world to me. Other than the obvious parts where he, he embellishes for plot-related things and does some special stuff. But it's it's just very realistic. It doesn't pull punches. It is real characters in a real world. And yeah. because I love world-building and characters more than the plot almost always, the depth of the characters and world in this were just crazy for me. So mm -hmm. I, I put a lot of time in reading this. Very focused. And... It's potentially going to be my favorite. Also, there were several areas where cool linguistic knowledge I had helped me understand things. So that always gives us some bonus points. That does sound like it but would that's not, give it some points for you. That's not <laughs> like it had it had Japanese, French, and Spanish stuff involved at various points. So obviously I loved that. But that's not why it's my favorite. I just love how explicitly real this book feels. So for you it's more like the insanely fleshed out world building that kind of puts it above Sirens of Titan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very real. It's got stuff that most authors would skip out on. Skip out on. Yeah, like medical stuff can get pretty weird, and it's in order to make this book feel real. There's no punches pulled. It's great. Gotcha. I love it. Well, I may have to read that at some point. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with this one on the bottom. Ooh. This is a book called Logic Comics, and for the people on YouTube, you can see it here. I don't have a ton to say about this book. This is a graphic novel that is, it is a basically about Bertrand Russell and like the search for fundamental truth in mathematics, which kind of goes over my head, but it, it's one of those books that served to get me interested in a new field of science. So like when I was in college, I was basically interested in like business and like a very narrow set of topics and certain fiction books have sort of broadened my interests to everything. And this is one of them. But the reason that I put this on my list is because this is a graphic novel, but it's educational. And like there are graphic novels out there that have been considered literature by a lot of people, like From Hell is considered to be literature by some people. So I don't have a ton to say about this book, especially since we're probably pushing for time. But I do want to use it as an example that even graphic novels and comic books can be educational and can be worthwhile. Yeah. Not just like what you think of as literature. Yeah. And I know I remember a lot of times people in the comments on that video I made for my top 10 favorite fiction books. Some people were like, this is all sci-fi and fantasy. This is all for kids. And I'm like, just because that's it's not, not high-minded, you know, Charles Dickens or something. That's like, that's like saying, you can't play Mario. Call of Duty is the only adult game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Mario's obviously, great. there are definitely themes that are explored and maybe like a linguistic density in certain books that you're not going to find in other books. Yeah. But I never want to say like, oh, a genre or a format is for kids or it's not worthy of your time. Go to this genre or format because yeah. there are useful things to be pulled out of almost any genre, any format. You can learn from Dr. Seuss. Yeah. So in if, fact, if it builds a love of reading, yeah. you're likely to read things that are maybe objectively more useful later on. Yeah. There's literally Thug Notes analysis videos on Wisecrack about Dr. Seuss books. They go real and deep. If, if, yeah, yeah. If there's if there's enough there for Thug Notes, then it's worth reading, I say. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that book for me. Okay. Well, book number three 
This book I picked up because it was it was just coming out. I've never it's seen that or heard of it. The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. And this book, I knew very little about it other than the main plot point, like the stuff you'd find on the sleeve. It is a fantasy book. Mm-hmm. And the protagonists are an elderly couple who's suffering, they're suffering from memory loss. Oh. And that to me was so unique, you know? Usually Adve- adventure calls. Adventure calls, but these people, once again, it feels like more real in a way because adventure calls, but they are not conveniently in their physical primes, their mental primes. We know a bunch of magic. We're super smart magically. No, it's just an elderly couple that has to go do something and they're suffering memory loss. And it's just way different hmm. than other fantasy stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Read. Kind of and steps out of the normal architecture. So just because of that, that was the only reason at all I needed to read it. And I really liked it. It was it was really good. And so is it like high fantasy? A little bit. Like a little kind bit. of Lord of the Rings-ish? Almost. It doesn't get quite as crazy with like different creatures and stuff. Mm. But it is fantasy. Like it's called The Buried Giant. Okay. And it's it's really cool. I only picked it up because of the interesting character choices and it was worth it. Cool. I also like that the pages are black on the side. Yeah, this copy looks is cool. This copy is beautiful. Yeah. I love it. It's also signed. Ashley got it for me. Oh, is it? Nice. Yeah, it's pretty great. Did she get it at NerdCon or something? I don't remember where she got Someplace. it. Someplace. But it's great. She got it from the signed book Black Market, probably. Ah. Yeah, those I'm sure. Black markets of signed books. Actually, that reminds me. A lot of times I see authors, they like tweet pictures of themselves in airports and they're like, I just went and signed four copies of my book in the bookstore at the airport. Oh yeah, you better yeah. find them. I, I like that. I should put that on my impossible list because I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, I was gonna be like, "Yo, I just signed a copy of my yeah, book." Yeah, you're gonna get caught and you're gonna kick you. <laughs> you're banned. No, from sir, the I'm, I am the author. No, of this I am. Book. The, yeah, likely story. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, be really funny. You know that other author named Thomas Frank? Yeah. What if I went into the bookstores and signed? <laughs> Man, that would really disappoint anybody who found it, was excited, and then learned. It's true. <laughs> it was you. The other Thomas Frank would probably be a little bit. Uh, he would have to fight heaved. you, I think. He I might think have, he to, have fight to fight me. Thomas Frank Cage match. Yeah. Anyway, we are down to the final <laughs> yeah, two, this aren't is, we? This is, well, I have two more, actually. Yeah. Yeah, the final, oh, two, the final two for per person. Because yes. I've got two more yes. as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with my favorite book ever. Favorite because book ever? my favorite book ever Ooh. has not impacted me in the same way that my second favorite book has. So, But it, it is still my favorite. My favorite book ever is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Which is I why I have it that. in this beautiful faux leather, because I don't think there is an actual leather version book. And I think they've come out with like one of those cool looking uh, Barnes and Noble editions, but I like this one. This is like the OG leather cover one. Yeah. The Hitchhiker's Guide is just a really funny, dumb, crazy story about aliens in space and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think it's hilarious. I do. I do remember somebody in my comments the other day said, I just read this book after so many people had telling me, told me it was so funny, and I laughed once. And I was like, all right, well, that's a clear case of people overhyping it for you. Either that or you don't get British humor, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, well, overhyping things. It can have a negative effect on stuff, especially yeah. if you're the kind of person who naturally doesn't want to like things the more popular they become. That's true, yeah. Then you're just like, yeah, quit talking about it. Everybody has mentioned this thing over and over. Yeah. And now I have to hate it because I'm tired of hearing about it. That's true. I remember reading Catch-22 as a school assignment once. I had no idea what that book was, and I laughed so hard because I wasn't expecting it to be funny. But if somebody yeah. was like, this is a comedy book, you're going to laugh so hard, I might not have actually laughed. 
Yeah. I think it's like the absurdity of something and you not expecting it to be absurd. Yeah. That's like makes part of how funny. humor works. Yeah. It's like if, if you expected it, eh, it's probably not that great. Exactly. So I don't want to like overhype the humor in this book. Um, really, this book is just like something I've been listening to since I was a kid. And I have, I have the version that Douglas Adams, the author himself, recorded, which is like impossible to find now. Cool. I've looked everywhere on for like hard CDs copy. or something. I I had it on my computer because I had the CDs a long time ago, and then I think like we sold them off in a garage sale or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what happened to them, but I have tried to re-get them and I can't find them. I don't know. Maybe they have come back on the internet since I've looked last. But there is also a very good Stephen Fry narration, and there's also a full cast narration the BBC did at one point. Really? So yeah, this book is That's very cool. very popular, um, and I just it's just. A very significant part of my childhood. Yeah, it's on my to-read list. You should, yeah, you should definitely. I read will it. read it at some point. And the the follow-up books are good too. Um, I've read two of them actually. For cool. you know, it seems a little ironic being my favorite book of all time. I haven't finished the fourth one in the series, <laughs> but it's a trilogy of five. Though I, yeah, they call. It, I'm sure they it call it that, that for like the wacky nonsense. <laughs> and I can't remember. <laughs> cool. If, actually, I should look here. Yeah, he wrote five. And then Owen Colfer, the guy who wrote Artemis Fowl, I think took his notes for a sixth one because he had died and created, like, the fleshed out the story and published it. Cool. With his estate's permission. I'm not sure if it's quite as good. But, yeah, I do have some more reading to do in there. I tend to, like, jump around from book to book. And I'm also one of those people who, I don't know if you ever feel this way. You kind of, like, build up one piece of media in your mind as, like, this amazing thing. And you feel like, I need to wait to experience that. So then you jump to something else. Yeah. Like, I watched Marco Polo on Netflix while putting off Game of Thrones. Because I was like, Game of Thrones is supposed to be so good. And then, obviously, Marco Polo is not as good as Game of Thrones by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I don't know why I do it, I do but I that. do it. I do that, too. <laughs> Especially with albums, because I feel the need to, like, meditatively listen to the album and do nothing else. So when the yeah. new, the newest Regina Spector album and the newest Radiohead album, when they both came out, and I, and I love these artists. Regina Spector is my absolute favorite. I've heard every recorded song I can buy. Mm-hmm. And... I put that those albums off for like months <laughs> because I was like, it's not the right day. I have to work today. I really want to give this the time it needs. Also, the Radiohead album is probably going to be a huge downer, and I'm going to love it. But I'm I'm not going to be like I'm not going to feel up to working after that. So it's I'm yeah. not ready, and I, I just build them up, and then I shouldn't wait months to enjoy things I'm probably I going know, right? to love. That's dumb. I think we like envision this ideal time at which we should consume yeah. the media, but we are always in the now. We yeah, are not because in like, that time. Because that timing is important, but yeah. that doesn't mean that you can force it to be the magical right time. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen. Like I've finished entire books in the middle of another book. Yeah. Just because it yep. was intimidating to get back into the book, and it's that's dumb. And I don't know about you, but I can't make consuming media an event that I plan and anticipate. What like, do you mean? Like, I will plan to go on a big, long hike, or I'll plan to go to a cool, you know, theme oh, park. Oh, you can't be like, I'm going to read this Saturday or yep, something Yep, I don't do like that. that. I just, like, I, I feel it. I'm like, it's time to read, and I read. Hmm. You know, I might plan, like, a daily habit to read, but I'm never like, I'm going to spend the entire Saturday reading. Yeah. I, just, I just never do that. I never have the compulsion to do that. So, for me, it's like... I need to just get over that. I should do that. That compulsion to think there is some ideal time and just like pick the good book up and read it. Yeah. Although ironically, now I want to spend tomorrow reading. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Uh, regardless. Second to last book for you. Yes. Book number four. This is from the King Killer Chronicles. So do not read it if you have not read 
both the name of the wind and the wise man's fear. Which you should read. That you should read. They're great. Yeah. But I want to talk about the slow regard of silent things. It's sort of a novella in the in the series. It's not a full novel, as you can see. It's not very thick if you're if you're watching. And like with two C's? Yeah. Yeah, like with two C's. <laughs> and this it's a weird novel, and he says this himself in the beginning. He's got a little thing in the beginning that's like, this might not be the kind of book you want to read. I know I shouldn't say that, but it's weird. Yeah. And it's weird because this book, it centers around a single character, one of my favorite characters from the Kingkiller Chronicles. And it takes place mostly, like, it's centered entirely on them in a, a limited set of locations and mostly in their thoughts or talking aloud. Like, it's very introspective, very setting and character building. Like, 5% of the book is real plot. If I were to write down every action that happened, it could take three pages. Yeah. Compared to, like, any other, any of these books, any of them, nothing happens in this. But it is such, like, beautiful prose, and I love being able, because I loved this character, and being able to really get inside this character's head and, and like I said, empathize. I get yeah. to live vicariously through this kind of person very thoroughly because it centers so much on their thoughts and their actions. Because this is just about one person, right? One just, one single character is what yeah. this, this thing is about. And that's just a perfect example of how plot is not nearly the most important aspect of a book to me. I want yeah. detail. I want depth. Mm -hmm. And this provides it very well. So a lot of you watching or listening, if you read the Kingkiller Chronicles, there's still a chance that you won't like this. But if you're the kind of person who will like it, you'll probably like it a lot. Yeah. Because it provides exactly what the kind of person who would read this would like. I should like. try it at some point. I anticipate that I would like it less than you, just from what I know about you and what I know about myself. But I think I would still like it because I still love that universe. Yeah. I think it's yeah. really interesting. There's also another short story in an anthology of short stories concerning yeah, another character. Yep. But so I think you might like that one okay. a lot too because that character is really cool. Also, yeah, I, need I need to read, read that. that still. But yeah, the the main point is this is a weird book with almost no plot, but I love it so much. It is it is a poem to me. One thing I'm reminded of with that book, you mentioned like you can get into the character's head, you understand their feelings and their emotions and everything. Yeah. The first time I ever finished listening to Ender's Game, which Ender's Game is one of those books I have both read and listened to, um, listening to several times. Yeah. But there's like extra stuff at the end of the audiobook. And th I read this or listened to this way before the movie Ender's Game ever came out, which the movie was meh, take her to leave it. I don't think it was that great. At the end of that book, they were saying like Ender's Game is not a, it's like impossible to make into a movie. Because so much of that novel's depth and meaning is what's happening in his head. Yeah. And I think they were saying, like, when Ender's Shadow came out, which is a book that is the same plot but from a different character's perspective, when that came out, Card was like, okay, now I feel like we could make a movie out of this. Because make now a movie we have, out of that perspective. Maybe not exactly from that new character's perspective, but it's at least, like, now we have a fleshed out version of the story from another character's perspective who can kind of be the connecting bridge between the audience and Ender. Yeah. Because in a movie you can't just be like I'm if thinking it's, If this. it's all internal monologue <laughs> that doesn't make for a very good movie but yeah, it can make for an incredibly deep book. Yeah, exactly. So I still think they kind of didn't hit the mark with the Ender's Game movie but who knows 
I don't. I honestly don't think they really utilized that character in the way that Orson Scott Card said that they probably would need to. Yeah. Like he was in the movie, but all the in-depth, intimate discussions that happen between them in the book, not really in the movie. Hmm. It's more just about the action and stuff. So yep. that's kind of the reason that why the movie like wasn't movie. that great. Yeah, that's a lot of what happens with movies that are adapted from books. They just like, what's the popcorn version? Well, we the can weird niche esoteric out. stuff. Yeah. Is it going to be the most profitable all the time? So exactly. You gotta you gotta cut it, and that's why I like I prefer the book versions of almost everything I can think of that has a movie version. Yeah. So my final book, we have come to the final yes. one on the list. Yes. All right. Built this one up. Um. Yeah, I have to give everyone just a warning up front. My final book on the list is a fan fiction. Hashtag deal with it. <laughs> Ashley is, is Ashley is gonna hate this, and Ashley's she's probably gonna really refuse, mad somewhere. Right she's gonna now. refuse to make the thumbnail for this episode because I put this book we, in here. We were saying she's gonna boycott this one. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is even worse because I told you already that I haven't finished Harry Potter. Yes, and it's the tenth anniversary of the and seventh the Harry tenth, Potter. Yeah, so let me my favorite in the series. So violate this sacred day. Yes, please do by saying my second favorite book of all time is a fan fiction called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. It's it is a fan fiction that was written by an artificial intelligence researcher and an author on like human rationality and heuristics and biases named Eliezer Kelsey. That is cool. Um, I am not normally a reader of fan fiction, but we were you were with me spring break 2013. We did the road trip to. Did you go? Was this to like the cabin? To thing? the cabin? I didn't go. Oh, you didn't go. I didn't go. I had something. That's right. I don't know you what didn't was going go. on. I didn't Other go. people did. So we went to this cabin for spring break one year, which was funny because it was spring break and we were in like the middle of a snowfield. Yeah. Uh, and we just hung up, played games. And I was on Hacker News, which is Y Combinator's basically like their version of Reddit. And it's all for tech people, like a lot of really smart startup founders and programmers and people in Silicon Valley frequent that board. And there was a thread said that said, or was asking, what was the best book you read last year? And people were naming off productivity books and programming books. And somebody was like, you know what? This fan fiction I read, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, was really great. And they linked to it. And again, because I had built up other books in my head and pushed them off, and I'm just like, oh. I have this tendency to click on random things and start reading them. I did that. And then I got hooked with it. And the funny thing, that this is longer than the three longest Harry Potter books put together. And it only goes over like about as much story. It as goes over one year. Uh, yeah, one, it's one year's the worth first of stuff. year. So the basic idea of this fan fiction is that like Harry is pretty much like a super rational, scientific minded boy genius instead of being just a normal kid. And it's just like and like his his whole purpose is to like figure out the scientific origins of magic and how it works. I'm picturing him as Dexter now, and I think that makes me like this. He fanfic honestly better. kind of is like Dexter. Cool. Except for he's like more of a jerk, less of an idiot because Dexter's kind of stupid. So he's Mandark. He's kind of Mandark. Yeah. Cool. I love it better. He's now. kind of Mandark, the wizard boy wizard. Um, and I mean, a lot of really cool things happen in, in the plot. I like a lot of the changes and tweaks he's made to the universe. I am a person who really enjoys remixes like that. I like covers of songs. I know you don't like covers of songs. So no. we are quite different in that way. Yeah, we are very... Uh, the original creation, and especially with books, when the universe, I've created it and directed it in my head while reading. It's mine. 
it's very sacred to me an author's creation and I, most of the time I don't want most other people to mess with I have them. no yeah I have no sacred anything like that in my head it's like a fork <laughs> nothing is sacred to me it's like I got do the anything. original Harry Potter over here and I've got this over here and they're they're two separate things but I love like yeah. I love things that intelligently and um, at least like don't do it in a bad way but if they're good at it and competent at it I love things that riff off of an existing creation. Yeah. I love covers. I love parodies. I love all that kind of stuff. That's just the kind of person I yeah, am. Yeah, and I listen to none of that. So. Yeah. so that's one of the reasons why this was great for me. But the other reason is that this this is the main reason it's on my list. It's my second favorite book of all time. The whole story is like a thinly veiled attempt to educate people on heuristics and biases and rationality. And all the chapter titles are like that. Like the chapter titles are like the Stanford Prison Experiment or <laughs> heuristics or, you know, the the um, planning fallacy, stuff like that. So a lot of those themes are woven into the narrative. And that, like reading that, like I mentioned earlier with Logic Comics, that got me really interested in rationality. That's the reason I went and went, uh, read Thinking Fast and Slow. It's the reason I went and read a lot of the uh, sequences on lesswrong.org. Or .com, I can't remember if it's .com or .org. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, and I went and read about all these, like, this is why you think incorrectly a lot of the time. This is, you know, recency bias. Or the, uh, you know, what's the availability heuristic? All these things. Um, this, like, led me down a rabbit hole of research and honestly questioning my beliefs. Beliefs that I had been afraid to question for a long time. And I changed as a person like massively and like this was kind of the seed for it this was your sirens of titan yes this was me. my sirens of titan which is why when i read sirens of titan i was like this is a cool fiction novel but it does it's not necessarily changing it me wasn't mind opening i've already been changed yeah and it it opened my mind in ways that no other book has done i grew up in a very religious household the i i would say like this the seriousness of our religious practice kind of waned as i got into my teens but all through childhood, we were going to church every Sunday. We went to like Baptist church and it was like, you believe these things or you go to hell, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that was just pounded very, into my brain. Very for, strict, like don't yeah, question exactly. this stuff. And my dad growing up, he was a very, he's a very logical, rational, intelligent guy. So I always figured like, well, if he believes that stuff, obviously it must be true. And even going into high school, I started doubting some stuff, but I was like, no, I, that's got to be true. I must be wrong. And I would just like have a, like a mental stopper there. And once I read this book and then started digging into some of the nonfiction parallels to this book, I kind of gained the courage to like really read into things that I almost felt guilty for researching in the past. Oh, yeah. Actually did it, started to change my beliefs, and honestly changed how I act. Um, and I, it's not even a, an exaggeration to say like reading this book has made me a better boyfriend to my girlfriend, to Anna a better friend to people, a better mentor to people who I mentor, it made me a better person. And I'm not saying it's going to do that to everyone. Because yeah. he even says in the beginning of the book, kind of like what Patrick Rothfuss says, this book is not for everyone. And if you don't like it by chapter 10, you should probably quit. Yeah. But it was perfect for me. And it just, yeah. No, that, that's awesome. A big impact. And it, it sounds like it's a really, it sounds interesting. It sounds cool. I've got my weird sacredness. But yeah. it does sound like it would actually be really cool. And it'd be interesting if they taught like a class and that was assigned reading. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like to anybody out there who doesn't want to read Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, but wants to learn about these things, 
go read the sequences unless wrong. Actually, I think he has since released a book. It's called Rationality from AI to Zombies. Hmm. And it's just like a compendium of all those articles. Oh, or go cool. read um, Predictably, I think it's called Predictably Irrational. I think it's Dan Ariely. That's like a really good starter one. Um, and then there's Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel oh, yeah, Kahneman. I want to read that. That one is a, it's a bit of a slog because it's like research result after research result. But yeah. it's very interesting, very eye-opening stuff. So yeah. you can kind of skip the Harry Potter fanfic if you want and just kind of move into rationality. But another thing is reading that book, it didn't just make me interested in rationality. It made me interested in science and math and history and becoming a well-rounded, well-educated person yeah. as well. So, that, I went so and read, that's a big deal. I went and read Bill Bryson's Short History of Nearly Everything, kind of increased my scientific knowledge. It's, it's one of the reasons why – I mean, I've always been a very insatiably curious person, but that kind of like – it sort of like gave me mental permission to go off into the weeds because I feel like college often encourages us to niche down a lot. Yeah. And you certainly need to niche down a little bit, but you need to be like a T-shaped person. Like you're really good at one thing, but you're also broadly educated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool that that book has done so much for you and that it allowed you to like choose what you want to believe based on your own values and thoughts yeah. and, and research. Rather than just based on, because everybody believes whatever they grew up with, you know, because you're a kid, you just listen to anything. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's right or wrong, if you want to change it later, it's really hard because you grew up with it. So if that book kind of unlocked the choose what you want to do now, whether it's the same or not. Yeah. That's cool. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. All right. So my fifth thing, my fifth thing, similar to one of your previous ones, is not actually... A novel. Oh, you have a graphic novel as well. But it is one of the Avatar The Last Airbender comics, and I haven't read this one. I was looking to get the library edition of The Promise. Wait, you actually haven't read this? No, this is this is different. I was looking to get the library edition. They have a bunch of comics that take place directly after the series. Okay. So that starts out with The Promise, parts one through three, and there's a big hardcover, nice library edition of that. I wanted to get that, but it wasn't, wasn't at the store. And I saw this, and this happens... There are a lot of them, and they happen sort of concurrently at various points in the story. So, I so that's during this show. Yeah. So okay. I haven't I haven't read these ones yet, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. But I love all the ones that take place after the show. Yeah, I and need to read those. They they feel exactly to me like the show just continued. It it's my favorite show mm-hmm. of all time. So it's wonderful. So yeah, I just included this because not only do I love it. But not everything needs to be crazy literature. There are graphics. Clearly, I don't get to imagine the characters how I want them to look. I know how yeah. they look. They're in a show. I don't get as much vocabulary. But it it's still a great exercise in focus. I sat down because one of our friends lent me the big library editions. And I sat down and started reading it. And I just, like, didn't stop for the next several hours. <laughs> yep. And that's a crazy amount of focus that's hard for me to get these days. I do get that with comic books. In fact, I, I subscribed to Marvel Unlimited for a little while. Yeah. And I had to unsubscribe because I was using it too oh, much. Oh, because you kept reading comics. I wouldn't go to bed. <laughs> I <laughs> went is, through like that's all too of much. the modern Iron Man. That's too many. Yeah, it's like it's it's like a dump truck just shoving food down until you explode. It's just too much. Yeah. But comics are frustrating because it's like you have to follow it and you have to either buy the trades or buy the issues and then it's like stack up. Yeah. And Unlimited kind of solves that problem, but I just couldn't regulate. (laughs) Yeah. And see, that's why I like these Avatar ones, because they are limited in number. It's true. There's not many. This one holds like 28 
different mm-hmm. little comic book issues that came out over the years. And the big library editions are three larger ones. Yeah. And you just buy the big edition. I'm not buying the singular comics because I don't I don't want the small ones. I want yeah, the big want fancy around. ones. And a new one for this latest trilogy of comics is coming out sometime later this year, and that's on my calendar, and I'm really excited about that. Cool. You know, I think Avatar is now my favorite television show ever as well. I love it. It was Sherlock, but Sherlock broke my heart and went downhill. That happens sometimes. you know, Stephen Moffat's going to Stephen Moffat. And uh, Game of Thrones is amazing, but I think Avatar takes it for me. Oh, P.S. Air Nomad for life with a Y. Specifically with a Y. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you know I'm cool, but Air Nomad's are the best. Just saying. I'm just throwing that I'm out I'm probably there. an earthbender. Yeah. But I feel like I don't identify quite as strongly with one element as you do because waterbending also seems really cool. Yeah. If I could do both, that'd be pretty sweet. Fair. But then I'd be like you a have to half be the, avatar. You have to be the avatar. Yes. Yeah. There we Duh. go. That's, that's my element. It's being the avatar. That's cheating. <laughs> that's like, what's what, what superpower are you going to have? All of them. Yeah, my superpower is that I can have every power. Awesome. pretty good power. Yeah, that's cheating. That's against <laughs> the spirit. That actually is very uninteresting. Um, Brandon Sanderson, the author of Mistborn, actually has like these rules of fantasy he's written out. And one of them is that limitations are more interesting than powers. Yeah. So all of his magic systems are always like built on limits and almost like scientific hard principles. And that's why Mistborn is so cool. Because not do they, just like do they flesh that out a lot? Very much so. It's not just like oh they waved the wand and something happened. Which I mean in Harry Potter that's fine because I feel like the magic system yeah. isn't really a focus the, of the, it. The point of the story isn't yeah like isn't. obviously there are messages beyond just the magic and right. stuff going on for that. For yeah, them. and I mean I love Harry Potter, but like part of the reason I love the King Killer Chronicles so much and Mistborn so much is because both of them have magic systems that are very scientific. And you get to go through this process of discovery with the main character of like, this is how these things work. Obviously, yeah. this only works because of gravity. Or like, if you do this, there's a reaction, just like in physics. It feels like so, you're learning. Yeah, I love it. It's just like, it's like scientific fictional crack. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so that's our five. Um, if you guys yeah. have listened this far, down in the comments below, if you're watching this on YouTube, I would love to hear about your favorite books. So let me know. Give us some recommendations. Maybe we'll be oh, able yeah. to branch I, out a little bit. I add... I have way too many books on my to-read list on Goodreads, so please go ahead and give me some more. Oh, in the show notes for this episode, we will link to both of our Goodreads profiles. So if you want to see the other fiction books we're reading or the nonfiction books we're reading, I keep my Goodreads pretty updated. Mine is absolutely always updated. I'm very strictly updating that. I don't put when I finished a book, but I add it. Like I've become more casual with like when I finish it. I just put them on there, but it's like a repository for what I have read what I am reading. Yeah, I, Goodreads is one of the few sites that I have to log into that I always feel really good about Yep. rather than like Facebook or Twitter or something. There's always a part of me that's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but with Goodreads, it's all good. I feel great. Well, where it's right in the title. It is right there in the title. It should have been goodfacebook.com. Then I would feel good about what it. If it. Yeah, good that's Twitter. That's not how that works. Let's make our own social network. Goodsocialnetwork.com. We don't have to be imaginative here. I almost, there's, there's a universe where that's all, working. That's true. There that's, is... That I could see there's a real situation in which that could work. Yeah, but there's also right universe now, where I have like giant lobster arms. So Yeah. It's a pretty sweet universe. What's well, there's nothing less logical about that. True. Perfectly reasonable. That sounds reasonable to me. But yeah, uh, <laughs> send us books and stuff. Yeah. Or if you read these, if you read any of these books, you think they're awesome, uh let us know. Yeah. I would feel great if I had spread one of my favorite books to the masses. I would feel great if there's a single other person who's like HPMOR, awesome. 
Actually, yeah. Ryan likes it. So oh. I do have a friend who's read yeah. it and likes it. And I've had a few people tweet me going, thank you for the recommendation. I was skeptical, but holy crap, I like this. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, when you hear fan fiction, there's a lot of... It's so everywhere. There's a stigma. That it yeah. could be... You can be skeptical because there are so many types that you can't guarantee quality. There's no... Yeah. There's no editor forcing quality through. It's true. No barrier of entry. Yeah. It's almost like blogging or YouTubing or whatever. There's... Obviously, there's a lot of crap, but there's going to be some amazing stuff. Yeah. And on that note, I will give you guys one final recommendation that is fan fiction. Uh, go look up The Metropolitan Man. It's a Superman fan fiction. I was fan thinking fiction, it sounded like Superman. But it is from Lex Luthor's perspective. And it is like you so kind he just, of he's just constantly waving his fist like Superman. No, like you kind of understand it because like from Lex Luthor's perspective, it is this alien that has come to Earth and basically like if he decides to destroy it, what can we do? And yet you were on Captain America's side in Civil War when that's kind of a similar situation. I so I had this discussion yesterday or not yesterday, two days ago with the people in Missoula, and I, I have talked to you about this on a general level. I think that Cap is wrong because okay. we can't okay. have we as can't have we got that. vigilantism going on. Yeah. It's just that like I trust, you just trust Captain, Captain America, America himself more than I trust the government, which in Marvel movies has been shown to be corrupt a lot of times. Yeah, but Captain America so, is going to it's like and, ev- it's every government. And like the Tony government. Stark has basically been at fault for everything that's happened wrong in the universe except for maybe the Tatari coming. That doesn't mean he's not right this time. It's, yeah. It's but every government agreeing. It's just my gut goes with cap i'm sorry your gut can go but with i cap, do understand but you like, are now a war criminal yes in the so real world i'm not going to be like it. oh yeah this is fine because that's how you get the punisher p.s the spider-man movie is great you go see it. the spider-man movie but is yeah great. uh we're clearly we digress <laughs> this has nothing this these aren't even books we're talking about. that's true all right what episode is this 169 169 cool so show notes for this episode are down in the description below if you're watching this on youtube or at cigpodcast.com slash 169 so check those out if you want to find our Goodreads profiles, if you want to find links to all the 10 books that we mentioned, and to anything else we might have mentioned and I'm not thinking of right now. I don't know. Something. Yeah, probably find something them. cool. They'll be in the show notes. So thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel or on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts to get new episodes every single week. And if you do happen to have iTunes, a great way to support our show is to give it a rating and review. That helps bump it up the charts. It lets iTunes know that people are listening. And it also lets us know what we're doing and what we can do better. So thank you for your feedback if you have it. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.